Warning, the following podcast contains people that were just in Oklahoma. Needless to say, we've got some profanity to get out. This week's episode of The Scathing Atheist is brought to you by Stamps.com, ForHims.com, ZipRecruiter.com, and by the fact that American Christians just aren't that serious about it. A thousand atheists in one place this weekend and not a single machete. Slackers. And now, The Scathing Atheist. This is Lawayne L. White from the Story By podcast. And even though everything on my show is complete fiction, you should still believe me when I say that we did, in fact, evolve from filthy monkey men and women. It's April 5th. And the case for Christ is a mistrial. I'm no illusions. I'm Eli Bosnick. I'm Heath Enright. From New York, New York. Secret Lair, Pennsylvania. This is Scathing Atheist. Oh! This week's episode, we catch up on all the headlines we missed while we were trying to find a person in Oklahoma. <laughs> I start to miss the slow-witted man right next to me yelling out mundane observations. And Lee Strobel tee up a softball and keep bringing bigger bats until his interviewee can knock it off. First, the diatribe. The best time I have at atheist conventions are never in the audience of a talk or in a workshop or in an organized event of any kind. They're always at the bar or they're around the ashtrays out front. Now, don't get me wrong. American atheists put together a hell of a speaker lineup this year. And even if you just planted your ass in the main theater and kept it there the whole time, you'd have got your money's worth. But my MO is to spend as much time as possible drifting in and out of all the great discussions going on among the attendees. There's a downside, of course. There always is. See, the ashtrays outside of these events are, as the name would imply, outside of these events, which means they're not exactly restricted to ticket holders. And whenever you get a large enough group of atheists in the same place, there's going to be at least a few would-be missionaries seeking to take advantage of that and talk a few of us heathens out of our godless ways. You know how atheists never loiter outside of churches so they can try to talk people out of their religion on the way to their car? It's like that, except with assholes. So sure enough, on Saturday morning, they started popping up outside the venue. Got about you know half a dozen or so perky evangelicals setting out to save our souls, all of them between the ages of about 15 and 20. You know, because who better to spar intellectually with a bunch of atheists than a group of sheltered high schoolers whose worldly experience ends around Tulsa or so? Every time I go out to smoke, I'd see one of them locked in a futile conversation with an attendee desperately working their way through a preordained flowchart of questions in an effort to why are there still monkeys us out of our doubt? Now, for the record, I'm pretty sure I ran mine off the quickest. I don't think there's an official award for that or anything, but when the dude tried me, he got all about 18 seconds into his spiel before I just started laughing at him. It starts off with, you know, me lighting a cigarette and some impossibly clean-cut kid of about 19 asking if I'm with the conference. I kind of thought the giant American atheist lanyard around my neck was a dead giveaway, but I said yes. Then he asks if I'm an atheist, 
Seems a little redundant, but I affirm my disbelief and I ask if he's a Christian. And I can tell right away that I'm fucking this up for him, by the way. I, I'm not supposed to say stuff other than yes or no. That that messes up his flowchart. So when I asked if he's a Christian, I can see him pause and like reboot his conversational software. He does a quick calculation in his head. He realizes, yeah, okay, I can answer that question without deviating too much. So he offers up a quick yes, and then he carries on to the next question on his list, which is, where do you think the universe comes from? Now, you and I already know the rest of that conversation, right? We know what's coming and it's boring and it's stupid and I don't want to have a boring and stupid conversation. So I try a quick redirect. He asked me where I think the universe comes from. I dismiss that with a quick, I don't know. And then I offer him a question. I say, do you think if you were born in a Muslim country with Muslim parents, you'd still be a Christian? But of course, he's not authorized to reflect on shit like that. So he ignores that question entirely and he plows forward. And that's when I feel like I've got permission to just laugh at him until he goes away. Right. By ignoring my question, he's essentially failed the Turing test. I'm not talking to a person anymore. I'm listening to a kid recite meaningless objections fed to him by a pastor. And I'm doing that instead of striking up an interesting conversation with a fellow attendee. So he tosses out the next line, which is a doozy. He says, because the late Stephen Hawking said that energy couldn't be created or destroyed. And that's as far as I let him get. I mean, the laugh was genuine. If quoting Stephen Hawking in defense of creationism isn't laughable, I don't know what is, but I exaggerated it. I'll admit that. And when he tried to talk some more, I laughed a little bit louder, and then he got the picture and he walked off to find somebody more patient than me. And to be honest, it's hardly worth bringing it up. This kind of shit always happens. But I did want to reflect on what a stupid fucking thing to say that is. I, I mean... To you and me, right? Like, if we're trying to convince somebody at X, we're not going to start off by citing as an authority someone who vehemently disagrees with X, right? Kind of counterproductive to your argument to establish an authority who, using the stuff you're quoting, concluded that you were wrong. What's more, there's no fucking reason to bring Stephen Hawking into the conversation if all you're trying to do is establish the first law of thermodynamics. You know, would have made a lot more sense to proceed. Energy can't be created or destroyed with like something like the first law of thermodynamics teaches us or even as we all know. But he was attributing it to Stephen Hawking. I heard a few more snippets of the Jesus timeshare pitch from a few other would be missionaries. And, and, and they were filled with shit like that. Every few minutes, it was like Neil deGrasse Tyson says X or, or Carl Sagan said Y, where X and Y were just like basic scientific principles that had nothing to do with Tyson or Sagan or anything. And I linger on that because I think it offers an interesting window into the way that these people think or fail to think, I guess. See, from the perspective of a religious kid, Nothing can just be objectively true. The laws of thermodynamics can't exist without an authority. They're attributing this stuff to well-known science communicators because they can't conceive of a world where knowledge isn't handed down. You know, things aren't true because they withstand a rigorous application of objective analysis. They're true because somebody said so. And if they're trying to change somebody's mind, it stands to reason or the substitute for reason that they're allowed to have that they're going to get there by appealing to an authority. Of course, that doesn't work with atheists. You know, we don't believe something's true because Stephen Hawking said it. We don't accept the laws of thermodynamics because they were carved into tablets on a mountaintop. So needless to say, nobody walked away from those ashtrays as a new disciple of Christ. But with a little bit of luck, somebody walked away wondering if he'd still be a Christian if he were born in a Muslim country. They're talking about your Jesus. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you a special news bulletin. Joining me for headlines tonight are two men who are angry at the God they don't believe in. Nobody. 
because at the moment it's just me. I'm just I'm cutting in to explain the lack of a topical news segment this week. Normally we have one right here, of course. But because the American Atheist Convention in Oklahoma City sucked up so much of our work week, there was no way we could keep up with everything going on in Atheist News and have informed shit to say this week. But this didn't exactly hit us out of the blue. So over the last few weeks, we've been stockpiling headlines. We're still going to have a headline segment, just not going to be as topical as it normally is. But before we get to that, a word from this week's first sponsor, Stamps.com. Hey, Eli, uh, what are you doing? Just mailing this lamp to my mom. Oh, cool. Uh, What's with all the stamps? Oh, well, I want to make sure there's enough stamps to carry it. Eli, do you think that the stamps actually carry the package also why aren't you using stamps.com okay ignoring the first question because you seem judgy right now what's stamps.com well with stamps.com you can access all the amazing services of the post office right from your desk 24 7 when it's convenient for you buy and print official u.s postage for any letter any package using your own computer and printer wow so you could print like a big stamp no no, that's, that's not how it works. How do you think mail works? It's relevant. So you've used stamps.com? Oh, yeah. We use it to send out our Patreon rewards. Our April patrons will be getting books, Christian movie bingo cards, and more, all thanks to how easy stamps.com makes sending them out. Okay, so which postman do I sign up with? The one at the post, I want to say store, post store. I, I, I want to know what you think the mail is. No. Okay, well, right now, use scathing for this special offer, which includes up to $55 free postage, a digital scale, and a four-week trial. Don't wait. Go to stamps.com. Before you do anything else, click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage and type in scathing. That's stamps.com. Enter scathing. And the postman will come live with you for as long as it takes. No, he won't. Okay, I don't get it. then. And now, back to the headlines already in progress. And in Bell Freezes Over news tonight, Australian Cardinal and selective invalid George Pell headed to court on Monday where a hearing to decide if prosecutors have enough evidence to put him on trial began. But this hearing, by the way, is expected to take up to a month. But if the anti-kid uh, rape side succeeds, it's going to make the 76-year-old the most senior Vatican official to ever go on trial for actually doing the raping. Or, or for covering up. He's actually accused of both. I mean... Is anyone doing the raping and not covering up? I, I really want there to be a guy who's just like, yeah, I fuck kids, but I'm not a liar. <laughs> well, he's covering up the other people doing it, too. Yeah. Well, OK, so Pell, who up until now was serving as the Vatican's chief finance minister, by the way, was charged in June with sexually abusing multiple people in Australia decades ago. He's also been implicated in a shit ton of rape enabling along the way, but he might manage to escape prosecution for those crimes by rotting in prison for these other ones first. Uh, yeah, okay. So if we're ever going to use cryogenic freezing, I think this is the time. Like, right. If we figure out how to bring frozen people back to life in 100 years, I want it to be mostly for continuing to punish kid rape. Like, that's, <laughs> yeah. like demolition man should just be about that. I, I love this detail, too, by the way. Defense lawyer Robert Richter chastised the Australian public for their assumption of guilt and then went on to point out the 21 witness statements they submitted that were favorable to Pell. So, yeah, I mean, at least what? at least 21 people <laughs> saw him not raping kids. So I'm not sure how the 22. prosecutors sure, are going to shoot. Yeah, right, right, right. But, yeah, fingers crossed we get to see how they'll defend against those 21 witness statements. And in Fault Lake City news tonight, as our listeners know, Heathleton, Bethesda, Enright has three great loves 
That's Scotch. Not, none of that. <laughs> Weird lady whispers call forward. And the great state of Utah. <laughs> I do. Well, one of those has been running a bit dry lately. And I don't mean the disastrous lack of peat production that could destroy the Scotch market in the coming years. We don't. Nope. Don't say talking. shit like that, Eli. <laughs> Heath breathing into the paper bag comes across in my microphone, too. <laughs> I understand. Okay, well, uh, here's the thing. You know how we have a... Uh, we have that strategic petroleum reserve. <laughs> I am not. Don't tell anybody. So Utah has had a bit of a dry spell, increasing the chance of wildfires all over the beautiful coffee shop and human-covered state. Also, Mark and Dan live there. And I bet they'd invite us to dinner, and their husbands slash wives are already really cool, so... We'd like go see movies and talk about <clears> it. <throat> uh, Vito, the <clears throat> uh, where do you think we'd uh, we'd go? No, eat I got uh, <clears throat> that veto's your <clears throat> veto. Okay, sorry, I love Utah. Anyway, the governor <laughs> of Utah isn't just sitting around doing nothing. He sent an official letter of instruction to religious leaders all over the state to pray for rain. Oh, jeez, really? Like with the seal and everything. Here's the letter in part. Quote. Because the health of our waterways, our wetlands, our agriculture, and our forests in particular depend on an abundant snowpack. Okay, I'm officially uncomfortable with the term snowpack. Just keep that in a note. <laughs> and because none of us can afford... I don't know. It feels... I don't like it. And because none of us can afford to witness the destruction that comes with wildfire, I am again reaching out to you and your faith communities with an invitation to unite in prayer. Yeah. Also, I get that we're Mormons, but maybe try Boreas, Greek god of the cold north. We don't have an ice god here. <laughs> so then we get to the prayer instructions, which seem bossy. Give me your opinion. Quote, first and foremost, I believe we should thank our creator for the extraordinary blessings that we enjoy as a state. But I would also encourage us to pray that the elements be tempered on our behalf. End quote. <laughs> I don't understand, though. Why not just like pray for the reservoirs to fill back up magically. Now you're yeah, just right? fucking up the weather. It doesn't mean the rain. Just pray. If you think magic stuff happens, pray straight for the solution. Why are you doing that? It's like Baba Brinkman's riddle. You got to go right to the center. No, nothing like that. All right. <laughs> Two votes. Uh, he finishes. Thank you for considering the special request. And thank you for all you do to meet the significant spiritual needs of the people of our great state. Love someone who spent tax dollars to do this bullshit. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and in showdown in the OK Corral news tonight, gubernatorial candidate Dan Fisher, who looks like he's always a little too insistent that he's not Jewish, has a bold new platform to capture the electorate before June 26th. And it appears to be declaring Oklahoma its own separate country where the Federales dare not roam. <laughs> the only law is to protect sweet, sweet unborn fetuses that so dearly need his help. <laughs> okay. Uh, just circling back real quick. I'm not arguing, but how insistent is too insistent that you're not Jewish? I'm sure he does, like, he does look like that, but... If, if you have to ask, it's too much. That's the... That's the... All right, no, just tell me when I get there. Ready? Okay. Uh, I'm not Jewish. Too much. See? Too okay. much. I'm not Jewish. Again, way too much. I love Jewish people. Making it worse, you see? The more... Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So according to Right Wing Watch, when D. Fish is elected, he'll, quote, ask for a bill on my desk that criminalizes abortion as murder, and I'll sign it, 
Candy yeah, Crush. right. No, I'll, also, I'll ask for a bill that says jerking off is genocide and birth control is kidnapping. <laughs> <laughs> then he's going to close down every abortion clinic in Oklahoma with his signed piece of paper, I guess. And, and six quote, goods. <laughs> and quote, instruct those law enforcement officials that if they find someone attempting to perform or performing an abortion that next day, they'll be arrested for attempted or committed murder. Mid-abortion? <laughs> Get your hand out of there. <laughs> also, why is he talking in like partial future tense like right? that? Is, is this going to be like minority report? He just like rolls a fetus down a table at you catch it. <laughs> Jail or something. Yeah, he just ski balls it right back up into some lady's sniz. Baby! <laughs> now, you're probably saying, Dan, what will you do about the federal government? And he has an answer for this. Um, he's going to ignore them, <laughs> literally. He would, quote, advise Oklahoma officials to ignore any federal court summons, end quote. Then he would, quote, call for judicial reform, which will remove the power of judicial review from the courts. What? End quote. Because, you know, what America's it's political not, system has is too many checks and balances. Well, right, but I mean, I'm sorry, to, but to, to proactively come out against judicial review is insane no matter what your positions are. <laughs> exactly. like, that would be like expressing a blanket preference for former rather than latter. <laughs> <laughs> and also, just for the record, this is the same guy who sponsored a bill to replace the AP American history curriculum in the state with his personal selection of theocracy nonsense, uh -huh. including sermons, the Ten Commandments, and Ronald Reagan speeches. Yes. <laughs> also, he's apparently part of a Christian propaganda group called the, the Black Robe Regiment, which sounds really close to kick it. Like, it's a different color, but it sounds... <laughs> and based on the pictures I saw, they're uh, 18th century... Bigot LARPers, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so LARPers. LARPers. No, they're not bigots. <laughs> now, Dan is currently in fourth place in the Republican primary, but after 2016, literally numbers mean nothing. So good luck to Dan on his new abortion-centric rebel nation when he wins. <laughs> and then you're going to miss me when I'm Gandhi news. Thanks to the robust market for a obscure letters between religious pen pals that apparently exists, I got to learn what Mohandas Gandhi really thought about Christianity. Hmm. And it's delicious. According to a Pennsylvania-based historical document dealer, somebody just paid them $50,000 for a signed letter written by Gandhi in which he explains to an American pastor why he's not going to be switching over to Christianity like the pastor asked him to. Was it you guys are mad, Killy? My money's on two Killy. Two Killy. <laughs> Is it lack of official teenage girl enemas? Because they've gotten a lot better about that. Just for the record, <laughs> they really squirt a lot up there now. Who's gotten better? <laughs> Doesn't matter. So everybody. <laughs> so the story begins in uh, in 1926 when a Christian theologian named Milton Newberry France wrote a letter to Gandhi <laughs> that basically said. Uh, dear extremely important Hindu leader, I wrote a pamphlet about Jesus. Uh, have you heard about this guy? Have you seen this guy? If not, <laughs> that's probably why your people are being enslaved by England. Right, you don't know about yeah. Jesus. You should be Christian. Holla back. <laughs> you up for changing your religion? Yes. <laughs> and by the way, interestingly enough, when this didn't work out with Gandhi, this guy started emailing me every four or five days forever. 
<laughs> yes. So uh, Gandhi did holla back, actually, and it was in the form of the most polite go fuck yourself ever written. It's the greatest. <laughs> it was like, hey, white guy, thanks so much for that letter. Great stuff. Great stuff. During my extensive study of world religions over the course of decades, I had not heard about this Jesus guy in your pamphlet. <laughs> Super glad you told me about him. He sounds amazing. Like the best teacher ever. But still, you know, I'm a I'm a stupid brown savage, so I'm actually going to stick with uh, being Hindu. Super sorry about that. Love, G-Train. That's so nonviolent. So nonviolent. <laughs> so, uh, you ever wondered what it would look like if you made a letter out of the super nice girl denying a lean in for the kiss by her friend zone platonic <laughs> guy friend? Now you know. It looks like a letter from Gandhi to American Christianity. There you go. Also, Google what Gandhi thought of black people. That's a fun game. Oh, sorry. <laughs> really? <laughs> Google it. Google and, it. And yeah, 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 right, right. <laughs> by no, all just means. Google it. And then, a great guy. And in bunny business news tonight, we've got a follow-up to a story we covered back in episode 218. As you'll probably not recall, in April of last year, Derek and Francis Bars filed a lawsuit alleging that the Christian Aid Society of Hamilton, Ontario, had removed foster children from their care because they refused to tell those kids that Santa and the Easter Bunny were real. Now, this led to outrage, disbelief, and rabbit puns that led to further outrage and disbelief. <laughs> Yeah, when stupid people have power like this, it really bugs me. That was one of them. <laughs> bugs. Uh, it's got me hopping mad. That was another one of them. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, good news. After only 11 months of deliberating, Canadian courts have decided that telling kids the truth is not a sufficient reason for the state to revoke custody. Yeah. Who's lapping now? <laughs> oh, God. I bet they're hopping mad. You already okay. used that one. I had so, one. Superior Court Judge A.J. Goodman wrote in his decision, <laughs> quote, there is sufficient evidence to assert that the bars did indeed attempt to preserve the children's enjoyment of the holidays, even if they were not able to positively perpetuate the existence of the fictitious characters that are associated with those holidays, end quote. Now, based on that statement's use of the word fictitious, the Children's Aid Society of Hamilton, Ontario, is taking that judge's kids away, too. <laughs> so the parents are saying taking away their kids is what the tort is, and the hair... Oh, Jesus Christ! Tort is. <laughs> the hair shouldn't be an issue. No, it shouldn't. Tort is. Hopping mad. <laughs> <laughs> no, I should point out here, by the way, that Derek Bars is apparently a pastor, so the not lying to kids thing isn't a hard and fast rule, but one way or the other, <laughs> the stuff he's telling the truth about shouldn't be the part that's getting him in trouble. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and in monkey chicken fish bear frog news tonight, <laughs> Christian, pastor, what? and man who constantly looks like he just said, yeah, <laughs> Kevin Swanson... Is really look a picture at him. It's really yes. it's a, that's a good description. <laughs> Kevin Swanson is probably owed a small part of our Patreon at this point, seeing as he's written more of our show than I have. <laughs> as regular listeners to our program will remember, Swanson is known for uh, promising to cover himself in poop if his son ever gets married. <laughs> yeah, gay that married, yeah, a great one. And don't worry, we are still honey potting the shit out of that kid with gay hookers. <laughs> it is going to pay off huge. Forty percent of our Patreon goes to honey potting that kid money. with gay hookers. Yeah, see, give, give what you can. <laughs> uh, but you might remember him for claiming that God punished California for gayness with wildfires and for being mad last year at Beauty and the Beast because it promotes bestiality, leaving reasonable people <laughs> everywhere to wonder 
if he knows what a movie is. <laughs> Kevin Swanson, making Eli's obsession with which cartoon characters fuck each other seem comparably charming since 1993. Okay, I feel attacked. <laughs> so it gets worse. Yeah. This yeah. week, <laughs> he uh, took to the airwaves to complain about another human-animal coupling in The Shape of Water. <laughs> he, here's the, the quote. Fish thing. <laughs> yes. Yep, the fish, the, the splash, boy splash. Uh, quote, <laughs> the Academy Award ceremonies this week provided the best film and best director Oscar to a violation of the worst possible sexual sin <laughs> mentioned in Leviticus chapter 18, uh, which really? is bullshit. I checked, and the Oscar for worst sin isn't even at the main ceremony this year. It's given out at those tech awards that you just see the clip of. Is, yeah. I mean, you're saying it as a joke now, but if they actually had that, we could have been done with Harvey Weinstein a long time ago. See? See? <laughs> take, take my emails, Oscars. Take my emails. He continues, quote, I don't want to defile the ears of my listeners. Yeah, okay. Well, I'd recommend not talking like you're always fucking a slide whistle. <laughs> that's fair. That's your concern. But this was another milestone in the moral degradation of Hollywood and the nation itself. What it did was it presented the ultimate sexual depravity. And again, I don't want anyone thinking what this is, but the ultimate sexual depravity as presented in <laughs> Leviticus 18 is presented in this movie as a tender and romantic and a beautiful thing. Even saying that is disgusting. End quote. <laughs> okay. Uh, question. So, <laughs> yeah. he, is he worried that kids are going to go out and start fucking their local swamp thing? <laughs> is, that, is that a concern of his? I just, I loved it. I wanted his awkward dance around actually saying fish fucking to keep going. <laughs> you know, by the end, he's got a couple of action figures on his pulpit. He's going like, I mean, she's not mucking a Furman, if you know what I mean, right? <laughs> I'll pay for an hour of that photo. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, so, uh, fainting Violet that Kevin Swanson is aside, <laughs> I'm wondering, how come he never talks about all the robot murders that the government yeah, ignores? Right. Where, where was his commentary on the brave documentarian who captured Fate of the Eight and... Why won't Noah let me bring him on the show to make fun of him? They're difficult questions. All of these are difficult questions. And on that note, what, what, whatever it was, I don't know because I'm recording this way in advance. We're going to close off the headlines for the night. Heath, Eli, thanks as always. Jumanji. That didn't sound like Keith, sorry. And when we come back, we'll dive back into the case for Christ and pre-recorded to know, I'm pretty sure we're going to find some laughable bullshit there. Lou, 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 just doing some loft stuff. Loft stuff is my favorite. Hey, Heath. Oh, hey, you like fuck. What? What did you do to yourself? Oh, you like it? I went to forhims.com. Uh, no, I, I do not like it. You're covered in like thick, thick bushy hair. You and I mean that's dicks. I know, I know. I have eighteen rock hard dicks right now. Yeah, really, really want to unsee it. All thanks to the folks at forhims.com. But Eli, forhims.com is a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, sexual wellness, and other things for men. They offer well-known generic equivalents to name brand prescriptions to help you keep your hair. And stuff for your dick. Right. Right. And stuff for your dick. But forhims connects you with real doctors and medical grade solutions to treat hair loss. That's and dick stuff. And dick well, stuff. Yeah. Right. Right. No, and dick stuff. 
I mean, trust me, I know. And did you know our listeners get a trial month of four hymns for just $5 today? Right now, while supplies last. I mean, they could see the website for full details. This would cost hundreds if you went to the doctor or pharmacy. They just go to fourhims.com slash scathing. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash scathing. Fourhims.com slash scathing. Yeah, but Eli, for hymns doesn't cover you in hair, and it definitely doesn't cover you in dicks. Oh, I also hit a gypsy with my car. There it is. Hard. Okay. Three weeks ago, we cracked open the case for Christ, and even though we weren't sure what we were going to find in there, we were pretty damn excited. Well, this week, we're diving back in for Chapter 2, and I'm kind of curious, were you guys more or less excited this time around? Uh, it's kind of like finding out your ex and their father are going to be at a dinner party. Like, it's bad, <laughs> but it's curiosity-invoking bad, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, lovely. And that's why Eli tried to trick me into that exact situation two weeks ago. So that was fun. <laughs> you didn't come. So. And- <laughs> I don't know why you're mad. And, of course, rejoining us is the lovely and talented Lucinda Lucians. Lucinda, where would you rank your uh, excitement level going in? I'd have to say my heart rate was negative going in. <laughs> Minus six PPM. All right. We'll see if uh, a little intellectual outrage can up those beast PM. Um, now, as you'll recall, when we last left Lee Strobel, he was interviewing Dr. Craig Blomberg, who was connecting pseudo-historical factoids together with nanoscale webs of bullshit in a strained effort to obscure the fact that there is zero contemporary evidence of Jesus ever having done anything. Anyway, when we rejoin him, he's still doing that. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. We get to chapter two, testing the eyewitness evidence. Do the biographies of Jesus stand up to scrutiny? And I flipped the page thinking about how awesome it would be if the next page just said, no. That would have been great. Yeah, no, that would have been much shorter. Right. But instead, we meet 16 year old Michael McCullough. Um, Now, he's going to be the almost dead kid that you hate if you don't believe me of this chapter. (laughs) I hope one of the workbook questions at the end of this is which almost dead kid was your favorite? (laughs) Why was it the white one? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So. Uh, This is a kid who got shot and had to testify from his hospital bed through a respirator after he got shot in the face. Oh, my God. I expected him to end this by saying, oh, yeah, and he was a puppy, by the way. (laughs) A puppy with AIDS. Yeah, right. right. (laughs) Plays the piano while sneezing (laughs) and built the Underground Railroad and then moved to Germany and survived the Holocaust. (laughs) Wrestled a teacup pig and then... (laughs) Fell off a slippery countertop. It's amazing. And by the way, the only point of this little analogy that he's drawing with this kid is that we, the people trying to undermine the gospel testimony, are in this analogy, the lawyer trying to get a reduced sentence for the guy who shot this kid in the face. That's us. We sound like that. Yeah. And the guys who mugged a kid and shot him in the face for $2... That's the Jews who killed Jesus. (laughs) Not the best analogy he's going with. Right, right. So with another dead kid under our belt here, he explains that he's going to subject Dr. Blomberg to the same kind of questions a defense attorney would use. Eight tests in all, and Blomberg looked not just ready, but eager. And again, I want to emphasize the creepy coloring language Strobel uses in this book. It's like, Blomberg looked at me cheekily over his hot, Steaming cup of coffee. <laughs> With a cherubic glimpse in his eye, he said, Sure, I can answer your question. 
it's yeah, it's wildly sexual out of nowhere. Here's the exact words. Lomberg picked up a fresh cup of steaming black coffee and leaned back. I wasn't sure, but it seemed he was looking forward to the challenge. Go ahead, he said. That's exactly <laughs> yes, it. Yes, it is. So either Strobel started blowing this guy the next five seconds, or they had a super awkward conversation that got left out of the book. Oh, you didn't. <laughs> or both of them. Yeah. You didn't mean. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. About the. All right. So now we're going to get eight tests. Test number one is the intention test. And get ready for some tap dancing, y'all. I, I feel because attacked. It was not unintentional <laughs> because the actual goal here is to decide the intent of the witnesses. In other words, do they maybe have any ulterior motives other than accurately describing what happened? And of fucking course they do. They were trying to justify their religion, but they can't just say that or they lose at their own book. Right. Yeah. Which is weird because the last goddamn chapter, he explained how little people at this time cared about the truth when it was to his advantage. So does Lee not remember the last chapter of the book? Because I remember <laughs> the last chapter of the book. Right. right. So Blomberg's first answer is, well, the book sure says it's accurate. Yeah, so right. Exactly. Yeah. No, he quotes from the opening of Luke. Boy, what I'm about to say sure is truth, <laughs> y'all. <laughs> Which makes plenty of sense because lots of books start out with uh, okay this is total bullshit but hear me out anyway <laughs> can't ignore that all right and so strobel says okay well that luke says that are you saying that the other three are bullshit yeah and blomberg's like well no you can tell those three are true because of how harmoniously these keys jingle right here <laughs> his actual answer to this question seems to be yeah but those books are about the same subject and therefore true yeah what <laughs> It's actually even dumber than that. Blomberg says, okay, so Mark and Matthew don't have a preface that says true stuff starting now. Granted, <laughs> but they're close to Luke in terms of genre. Yes. The genre called New Testament. <laughs> so it's like how all sci-fi is factual because paper really does burn that high. <laughs> and it actually doesn't. No, right. Yeah. Fahrenheit is one of like auto-ignite. Well, well, correct me if I'm wrong here, but doesn't he at one point say, well, you can tell they're accurate by looking at how accurately they're written? Yes. Or some bullshit. No, absolutely. I pulled the quote. Quote. Consider the way the Gospels are written in a sober and responsible fashion with accurate incidental details, with obvious care and exactitude. You don't, you don't find the outlandish flourishes and blatant mythologizing that you see in a lot of other ancient writings, no. end quote. Don't you? I, no, I mean, it's not like we've got them rising from the dead or anything in this one. Yeah. I'll tell you what, me, you tell me what's flourishy and mythological sounding. And then Jesus was like, wow, on his electric guitar. Still good? Still good. Okay. It's ridiculous. Okay, what if his dick is a chainsaw? Is that just too much? That is an outlandish flourish. Okay, what about a sword? Yeah, right. Subtle. Perfect. Yep. Nailed it. That's sure. good. Sword mouth is subtle. Right, so then, then he gets to answering objections. He's got a whole section on answering objections. And instead of selecting from any of the many sane objections to this tenuous threat of illogic, he chooses to throw out some weird shit about early Christians not writing anything down because they were pretty sure Jesus was going to be back any second, <laughs> so why bother? Hey, uh, Dave, 
Should we write down all that stuff the son of God just said? Or nah, <laughs> he'll be back in 15 minutes. We'll just ask him when he gets here. Okay. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Bread. How big of a deal could it be? And, and the way he answers this impenetrable objection, by the way, is by saying, no, Jews were always writing shit down accurately. Remember? Yeah, right. <laughs> just look at that Old Testament. It's, yeah, and if all that isn't enough for you, he concludes, yeah, but if they were making up stuff that Jesus said, they would have created a religion that didn't constantly schism and massacre itself. Yes. So, ah, uh, yes. It, the argument from nobody could be that stupid. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's test number one. Now it's time for uh, number two. This is the ability test. In other words, even if they did want to be historically accurate, would that even be possible? And since none of them were eyewitnesses and no eyewitnesses were still alive, the answer is no. Time for a little more soft shoe. Yeah, Lee says, won't you concede that faulty memories, wishful thinking, and the development of legend would contaminate the Jesus tradition prior to the writing of the Gospels? And Blomberg's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, because, you know, as we learn here, people back then had magical super memories that never made mistakes, yes! by the way. That is his actual <sighs> argument. People back then always remembered everything perfectly. Because they didn't have laptops. Yep. Yeah. He also argues that Jesus spoke and did things in easily memorizable meter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I never thought I'd have a serious note to add to this book, but as someone who has spent a tremendous amount of time reading about, learning about, and working on memory for magic tricks, I'd like to contribute an official nuh uh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You never use meter for that? Seven of clubs. Sign of state. Queen of hearts. King of kings. Like never. But, but regardless, regardless, he immediately shits on that idea. Yes. He's like, okay, when I say memorize, I, I meant like, you know, get the gist. <laughs> there, there were people who'd get the gist of the whole Torah oh, yeah. <laughs> with iambic pentameter actions. Right, right. There's a whole bizarre bit where he admits that in Middle Eastern oral traditions, it's okay for 10 to 40% of a story to be made up bullshit. Yes. And that somehow makes the pre-gospel oral traditions more reliable. Not less, <laughs> more. Truth is a bell curve? <laughs> a person? <laughs> it's a person who needs to be graded on a curve. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, look out for my new book, The Case for Ulysses, coming out this year. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and then in this amazing admission of how stupid he assumes his readers to be, he spells out the whole telephone uh. game objection to which Blomberg argues, I shit you not, that that doesn't count because in the telephone game, you have to whisper. <laughs> what? <laughs> Dr. Blomberg, one last question. Do you know what a simile is? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, first of all, it's pronounced smile. You're stupid. <laughs> and no. <laughs> also, by the way, we get a super depressing glimpse into Lee Strubble's childhood here. He says, hey, you guys remember the telephone game? You know, the game where you'd whisper, you're my best friend. And it ended up being, Lee's the worst. Everyone hates it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe that stuff. The whispering fuck is the truth. <laughs> so sad. That's so close. Yeah, exactly. And with all of that established, we move on to the character test. How do we know our witnesses are reliable types of people? Oh, this one is so amazing. He says, quote, we simply do not have any reasonable evidence to suggest they were anything but people of great integrity, end mm -hmm. quote. Yeah. And, and well, that's true. But 
only because we don't even know who wrote the Gospels. We have no evidence of any kind of what kind of people they were or weren't. Your Honor, I have here an anonymous tweet saying that the defendant is the murderer and we have no idea who sent it. The prosecution rests. <laughs> I make a good movie. He also has an implicit Christians don't lie argument in there, mm -hmm. too. Yeah, and uh, this is the first of many times that we're going to encounter the die for a lie argument, which is basically uh, nobody's ever kept lying after someone kicked him in the balls. And yep. early Christians got kicked in the balls a lot, <laughs> just lots of truth kicks. And then we revisit the fact that the Gospels are blatantly contradictory in the consistency test here. Yeah, and, and note how carefully he avoids mentioning any of the, like, meaningful contradictions. <laughs> right, right. He admits the contradictions exist, but he sure as hell isn't going to point out other things like, where was Jesus born? Who was Jesus's <laughs> grandpa? What's the Lord's prayer? Was he born of a virgin or whether he came back from the dead? <laughs> okay. Splitting hairs. Well, <laughs> obviously not, because then the hand waving, none of it's all that important answer that Blomberg gives would leap off the page and stab itself with a samurai sword to preserve the honor of the alphabet. <laughs> Ridiculous. Yeah, Blumberg's actual answer here was, if you don't count adding giant lies, forgetting hugely important stuff, and misquoting the Son of God, if you don't count, it's all consistent. Yeah, right. right. Great on a curve, <laughs> also. Now, skeptics like to get all in a tizzy over the fact that this book disagrees with itself in a way that makes no fucking sense. But if that's such a problem, how can we teach Columbus discovered America and George Washington discovered America? Huh? <laughs> Think about it. Yeah, he even says, I shit you not, quote, if the Gospels were too consistent, that in itself would invalidate them as independent witnesses. End quote. Yeah, he actually argues that you don't want historical <laughs> records that are too consistent. Wow. Yeah, you never want your religion to suffer from too much truthiness. Yeah, yeah. right. Sometimes your truth is too big. Like, literally complaints <laughs> yeah. about how big your truth is. You don't want that. Yeah, and then he backs that up with some lawyers saying that the Gospels had just enough inconsistencies to prove they weren't copying off of each other's work. <laughs> but, which is really weird because this book has already admitted that Matthew and Luke were copying off of Mark. Right. So, But not carefully, you see, and uh, that's how we know it's true. <laughs> Jesus. And the argument. Well, yeah, just to emphasize how bad this is, Strobel actually says, quote, Fabricated accounts tend to be fully consistent and harmonized, end quote. <laughs> He's actually Wait. saying that lies tend to be more consistent than truth. I guarantee you by the end of this fucking book, war will be peace and freedom's going to be slavery. <laughs> <laughs> and then he promises to hit Blomberg with some of the toughest contradictions. Yes. You know, like. For example, in Matthew, it says a centurion came to ask Jesus to heal his servant, but in Luke, it says he sent somebody else to do that. <laughs> That's the one. Yeah. That was the part that shattered my faith. I'm right <laughs> yeah. from the dead all the time. But the <laughs> who? <laughs> who? What? And his answer for this is fucking stupid. He's like, well, they say the president gave a speech even when somebody else wrote it sometimes. So if you think about it, the president gave a speech and... 
Dave, the speechwriter, declared war on Uganda. <laughs> <laughs> <are both> right. <laughs> right? Like his, the questions are so easy and he still fucks them up. His second example is that Mark and Luke say that Jesus sent the demons into the pig in Garasa, but Matthew said it was in Gadara. Again, he's skipping over where was Jesus born to get to this one and still he can't knock it down. <laughs> well, and by the way, even this weak ass example requires Blomberg to invent a whole town that doesn't exist in any historical record and assume a series of convenient mispronunciations. Yep. Yeah. J just to be very, very clear, this Gassara Gadara thing is someone in this conversation entirely making a place up. <laughs> yes. Like, okay. Maybe it's Blomberg, maybe it's Strobel, but someone is just like, you know, there is a town. Ah. Could have been called this. <laughs> but like, like when I said I'd be at dinner at seven, I was actually saying Zvevin, <laughs> a magical time only I know about, which you guys all know as 730. Yeah. <laughs> but I said Zvevin. Well, and the response to this is Strobel being all like, You've done it again, you slice son of a bitch. You've <laughs> yeah. yes, done right. it again. Well, okay. But then he finally mentions one of the actual tougher contradictions, and that surprised me. He brings up the fact that the genealogies in Matthew and Luke are wildly inconsistent. And to answer this one, he has to pretend that, A, Jews sometimes use patronial lineage, which they don't, nope. and B, no, do that not. Mary and Joseph's lineage crossed over each other like a Hatfield or McCoy. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, guys. I told him Jesus' parents were cousins. What do you mean worse? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but I think it's worth pointing out that some of his excuses actually were like, well, they made mistakes and thus this information is unreliable. Right? Like, like he says, hey, look, some names were probably omitted. Some were probably misheard. Some are easily confused. And the fact that this completely contradicts the oral traditions or super reliable excuse he used just two pages ago is completely unacknowledged. <laughs> we get this family tree too accurate. It'll seem like we're lying. <laughs> <laughs> what? And then Strobel concedes the point. He's like, wow, I guess if we use different criterion to evaluate each claim... Uh, you can special plead yourself out of anything. Yeah. Ah, Jesus wins. <laughs> Who knew? Which brings up the very real question for me of what answer wouldn't satisfy Lee Strobel? Like, just, <laughs> <you're> right? <laughs> just how do you explain I'm a Muslim now? All right. Yeah. <laughs> New book. <laughs> well, and if you weren't already dizzy, don't worry. We've got you covered because the next test is the bias test in which Blomberg is going to try to argue that the people writing down stuff about the head of their religion had no bias. Uh, and he dismisses this in two paragraphs. Yeah. Right? He says, well, sure, they could have lied, but maybe, maybe they loved Jesus so much they didn't. <laughs> Did you ever think about that? That is the entirety of his counterargument. Yeah, because when I say devotees of a religious figure... The first thing you think of is the uh, accurate, accurate portrayal, portrayal of, of their, their words, words and deeds. And deeds. Oh, yeah, and deeds. Exactly. exactly. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and then he asks a question so leading it came with a link to Google Maps. Here. <laughs> He's like, well, I guess if the Gospels contain anything that might be embarrassing to the people writing them, that would make them double plus reliable, huh? <sighs> they wouldn't and I mean, that. they do, but... We're not about to encounter the argument from why would we make up the yelling at a tree story? Well, but once again, Blomberg whiffs on this softball. His answer is like, 
Well, if I was inventing a religion from scratch, I wouldn't make it as hard to follow as Christianity. I'd make it the everybody gives Craig Blomberg a blowjob religion and I'd call it a day. <laughs> yeah. And if an emperor had thought give Craig a blowjobism was a good way to control people and get money, uh, we'd be reporting every week on blowjobs in public schools. Yes. Well, okay. Never mind. <laughs> probably wouldn't have jobs. We'd be devoured. Well, he also argues that if Superman wasn't a real guy, the stories wouldn't contain kryptonite. Yep. He starts citing parts of the Bible where Jesus was somewhat less than omnipotent and saying, if this wasn't real, why wouldn't Jesus's power be more unlimited, huh? <laughs> sure, he rises from the dead, does the thing with a fish, but all his predictions are vague enough to be true, even though, oh my God, Jesus is Darren Brown. <laughs> well, it's not just that. It's also the argument from, okay, but what about all those times the son of God and his friends acted like giant assholes? Yes. Yeah. So, guys, right. I think I might be the saver. You think of that? <laughs> <laughs> the savior. Okay, well, pinning that. But <laughs> what about all the intentional lying to make everything true? What if the flaws in Jesus were truth lies? Oh, I did. Then he's the truth lie, truth lie, truth lie. How many was it? All right. Yeah, right. Was it odd even? All right. Now we move on to the corroboration test. And as Strobel presents it, that test is, so when the people mentioned places and stuff, did those places exist? And to be clear, we're about to prove that Bill and Ted's excellent adventure really happened. Right. Like, how about that city you made up three paragraphs ago? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. Right, but Blomberg has to admit, well, sometimes they referred to people that weren't alive when they were supposed to be, but those are dwarfed by the people that were alive then. Yes! And, like an awful or, lot of his argument seems to rely on the notion that being 51% true is the same as 100%. Yeah. Okay, batting 510 is legendary. <laughs> you heard a little place called the Baseball Hall of Fame. It's traded on the New York Stock Exchange. It's in New York. <laughs> he also says, quote, in addition, we can learn through non-Christian sources a lot of facts about Jesus that corroborate key teachings and events in his life. End quote. He then goes on to not mention any of them in particular because none exist. There are no contemporary <laughs> accounts of Jesus. Period. Right. And he ends this section by Strobel narrating himself writing in his notes. Get expert opinion from archaeologist and historian. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wanted him to continue the narration, but not physicist or doctor about rising from dead and walking on water. Also buy eggs. Yes. yes. <laughs> and then we finally reach test number eight, the adverse witness test, in which we ask why there aren't any contemporary records of Jesus not being the son. <laughs> yes. Hey, right. Yes, He's yes. like, notice how his opponents never deny that Jesus performed miracles. And again, this is because there's no contemporary record. He's citing the lack of evidence on one side and not acknowledging that it's the product of a holistic lack of evidence. <laughs> okay. Everyone who was inside Tower 7 and witnessed a team of Jewish spies not blowing up the building. <laughs> Raise your hand. That's it. Yeah. Nobody. Exactly. Yeah. And then Strobel wraps it up by saying, I've got to admit, those last couple chapters were really fucking good. Like, <laughs> like maybe the best chapters ever written. And and suppose I could just stop here since I've been doing such a good job so far and everything, but I'm going to keep writing anyway because just out of the goodness of my heart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jesus is the son of God. That is locked in. That's where we are. But is he the unique 
son of a <laughs> Was he an only child? That is the only question left to Apparently, answer. Apparently, yes. I mean, if I weren't convinced by now, I'd have to be some kind of asshole. But if I were convinced, um, I might give this book to my daughter, even though I didn't finish it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, right. Give it to your kid with a note that says, check this out. <laughs> but before we can finish with... <laughs> But before we can finish with Blomberg altogether, he has to add this little afterthought where he says, so how convinced are you about this whole Jesus thing? Yeah, right. He's asking Blomberg that. And and by the way, Blomberg's very convinced. Oh, but the yeah. answer is very. <laughs> but Blomberg adds, but if you think about it, even if nothing I said was remotely convincing, he should still believe in the historicity of the Bible because faith in God and Jesus and stuff. Yeah, right. <laughs> Try not to think about it. End of chapter. <laughs> and and that's where the arguments end. But of course, this book does us the favor with closing on a couple of questions for our discussion group. Beginning with question one. Overall, how have Blomberg's responses to these eight evidential tests affected your confidence in the reliability of the Gospels? Why? Okay, well, if by that he means... Was I impressed when Blomberg and Jesus and Vladimir Putin skated right out of the book and scored a hockey goal with their dicks? Yes, very impressed. And Lee Strobel is a world-class goalkeeper. <laughs> Extra reliable. It's a good thing you didn't mythologize at all. I mean, I'm pretty worried that Blomberg owns six timeshares in Boca right now that he shares with Lee Strobel. <laughs> I don't know, though. Look, I checked out a few of Blomberg's online biographies, and they were so consistent, I'm starting to doubt whether he exists at all. <laughs> Okay, to be honest, I'm going to say that Blomberg's responses have made me somehow less confident in the reliability of the Gospels, simply because this is apparently the best he's got. Yes. He's got an author that's saying, what should I write in my book to make you look as right as possible? And he still has nothing. Right. Amazing. All right, question two. Which of these eight tests do you consider most persuasive and why? No. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to go with just for the sake of argument I'm going to go with number six the argument from Jesus had a micro penis therefore he's the unique son of God why would we lie about the first thing we would if we were lying he'd had a huge dick <laughs> I'm going to say number five was the shortest so it maybe had the least amount of bullshit in it alright alright that's fair Um, I, I was going to go with the one where we learned that they were exactly wrong enough to be perfectly accurate. I think that was number four. Ooh, uh, I'm going to go with the one where there wasn't anybody at the time to say that Jesus wasn't not God if he wasn't a God to not be. <laughs> Which brother do you ask? Uh, Raise your hand. Rap music. They always tell the truth. All right. Question number three. This is the last one. When people you trust give slightly different details of the same event, do you automatically doubt their credibility or do you see if there's a reasonable way to reconcile their accounts? How, how convincing did you find Blomberg's analysis of the apparent contradictions among the Gospels? All right. So I'm going to answer first. When people I trust tell me stuff, I trust them. It's built into the fucking word, asshole. When somebody asks you a tautological question, how do you pronounce yes? Yeah. Also, if someone goes... I was born in Maine for, or France. I'm pretty sure <laughs> they're not telling me the perfect word of God. Let alone the truth. I mean, I'd have to. I have to say, it really depends on the friend. I mean, if Eli tells me anything at all, I assume he's trying to establish an alibi for later. Yeah, but. usually you're gonna <laughs> nail that. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, an Amber Alert popped up talk in Oklahoma it. City the moment Eli left the bar. <laughs> Amber Alert pops up on all the bar TVs. We all look around. Where's Eli? He's gone. <laughs> 
And when we asked where he went after he came back, Eli said, uh, answer, <laughs> bathroom, laser tag, awkward <laughs> silence. You are super credible. All right. <laughs> it's a happen. So yeah, somehow <laughs> unconvinced by the historical accuracy of the Gospels, we'll shelve the book for a couple more weeks and we'll be back with Chapter 3 at Episode 271. Between now and then, Lucinda, Heath, Eli, enjoy being an atheist while you still can. Dun, dun, dun. Hey, I, I'm here for the Puzzle in a Thunderstorm interview. Yep, yep, that's us. A puzzle in a Thunderstorm. What's, what's that a reference to? It's uh, it's a whole thing. Uh, anyway, let's just. Go yeah, ahead. right. So, is is this a writing job? Yeah, you're going to be writing our ZipRecruiter ads. ZipRecruiter? Yeah, they're a really big sponsor of our show, and honestly, we're just out of ideas for how to talk about the service. Really? Uh, what do they do? Uh, ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for, identifies people with the right experience, and invites them to apply to your job. Wow, that sounds like a great service. It is a great service. Okay, so what if you guys did an ad where you show like a terrible candidate, and and the point the, the point would be like that the person who's doing they, the, they should have tried ZipRecruiter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right, that, right. Yeah, uh, we've we've done that. Oh, okay. Uh, well, is there like something super impressive about ZipRecruiter that I should emphasize? Well, eighty percent of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. One day, really? Yep. Right candidates are out there, and ZipRecruiter is how you find them. Okay, I got one. What about an ad where Donald Trump yeah, yeah, yeah. has... Yeah, we've done that, too. We've done, like, two of those, actually. Okay, well, what about, like, a special offer? Do you guys have one of those? Uh, yeah, right now. Our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. For free? That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash scathing. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash scathing. ZipRecruiter.com slash scathing. Okay, or, no, I got one. What about, like, a beloved mascot who... Yeah, hey, I don't like who can, like... Have you seen my garlic bread? Hey, Carl, uh, kind of doing a thing right now, maybe. Oh, okay. So check hey. Noah Lucinda's room. All right. Um, How about, like, a meta ad about how awesome ZipRecruiter is, even if their ads are hard to write? Uh, I think we're done here. Yeah, I'll see myself out. ZipRecruiter. Smartest way to hire. Before we bring her in for the landing this week, I wanted to thank everybody who came out to see us in Oklahoma City over the weekend. Really meant a lot to meet you in person. Also, an extra thanks to Eric and Jamie from the Talk Heathen podcast for inviting me on their live record at the convention. Had a ton of fun with those guys. I believe the record will be up on their feed soon, so be sure to check the show notes for a link. Anyway, that's all the blast movie we've got for you tonight, but we'll be back in 10,022 minutes with more. If you can't wait that long, be on the lookout for a brand new episode of our sister show's hot friend God Awful Movies, debuting at 7 a.m. Eastern time on Tuesday, and an even newer episode of our half-sister show, Citation Needed, debuting at noon Eastern on Wednesday. Obviously, I couldn't look myself in the mirror if I neglected to thank Heath Enright for preferring the aisle seat, Lucinda Lusions for not needing any of her legroom, and Eli Bosnick for making me laugh whenever the abject stupidity of airport security threatened an eruption that would have ended with me in a CIA black site. I also want to thank Luane L. White from the Story By podcast for providing this week's Farnsworth quote. If you need more fiction in your life now that you've given up on your religion, you'll find a link to his show on the show notes as well. But most of all, of course, I need to thank this week's most honorable hominids... <gasps> 
Benjamin, Robert, Doris, James, Nematopian, Jason, Daniel, Mrs. Wine Mixer, AJ, Nicholas, Como, Kim, Peach Machine, Mike, Matt, Christiana, Ken, John, Allie, Other Matt, Amy, Jim, Real, Donald, Trump, Jeanette, Justin, Dustin, Leslie, Wesley, Dwayne, Hausdorff, Jamie, Phoenix, Gwen, Mark, Neil, Jay, Ryan, Michael, Jose, Lisa, and Tor, whose intellects cause gravitational lensing. Also, Phoenix has an amazing tail. Lovely plumage. Together, these 41 formidable fornicators forfeited a fork full of their fortune to forestall the forceful forging of foreskins this week by giving us money. Not everybody has the keen detection skills and ability to banter well with supervillains that it takes to give us money, but if you think you're up to the challenge, you can make a per-episode donation at patreon.com slash atheist, whereby you'll earn early access to an extended ad-free version of every episode, or you can make a one-time donation by clicking on the donate button on the right side of the homepage at scathingatheist.com. And if you'd like to help, but all your money's tied up in frivolous things like room and board, you can also help us a ton by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes, Stitcher, or anywhere they let you give stars to podcasts. Legal services for this podcast are provided by the law offices of P. Andrew Torres, and our audio engineer is Morgan Clark. We also wrote all the music that was used in this episode which was used with permission. If you have questions, comments, or death threats, you'll find all the contact info on the contact page at scathingatheist.com. That's all right. Lucinda was doing a little clicky. My bad, my bad. She was clicking. My screen went to the wrong screen, and I had to get back to the screen. But you could have waited 15 seconds. I know. That's all I'm saying. I hate it when you get spite. <laughs> <laughs> The preceding podcast was a production of Puzzle and a Thunderstorm, LLC, copyright 2018, all rights reserved.